Chapter Seven of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Seven. Fidelia Locke. When the carriage containing Lady Scardale and Miss Locke drove away from the Voyagers' Club after leaving Captain Raven on its threshold, the elder lady leaned back with a half sigh. "'Are you tired, dear Lady Scardale?' the young girl asked. The question was an ordinary question enough, but there was the ring of genuine and deep affection in the voice which uttered it. "'No, my dear,' Lady Scardale answered, reaching out her hand to take and hold that of her companion. "'No, not exactly tired.' mrs seagrave's parties are always entertaining and always interesting then why did you sigh dear for you did sigh come you cannot deny that sigh can't i very well then i won't and lady scardale laughed a bright laugh that had no suggestion of a sigh lurking anywhere in it i think i sighed because i was thinking 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 of what oh of many things of captain raven chiefly my dear lady scardale what is there to sigh about in captain raven i think he is very well contented with himself there was a slight just the slightest suggestion of scorn in the girl's voice as she said this lady scardale's quick ear detected it and somehow it seemed to please her it is because he is so well contented with himself that he makes me sigh it seems to me a pity that a man should be so purposeless but captain raven isn't purposeless lady scardale at present his great purpose in life is the voyagers club and i'm sure nothing ever seems to be going on in london that he has not his name in nothing amusing that is ah yes exactly nothing amusing but that's just it he has no serious purpose no great object no high ideal dear lady scardale why do you want him to have all these qualities well because i like him i like him very much but well well lady scardale went on i should be sorry my dear if i thought that you liked him very much fidelia began to laugh very brightly and sweetly you need not be at all alarmed dear lady scardale i am not at all likely to care for captain raven well fidelia he is an attractive man and i think dear unless i am mistaken that he likes you very much possibly he does said fidelia and the smile on her face faded somewhat indeed i think it is probable that he does but he is not the kind of man i could ever care for and what kind of man could you care for fanciful fidelia well he should be such a man as you spoke of just now lady scardale 
a man with a purpose with an object with an ideal such a man as as who as my father was lady scardale ah you were thinking of your father well i was thinking of someone who was dear to me once and whom captain raven reminded me of always my poor brother-in-law rupert he was wild like raven and adventurous and purposeless too lady scardale sighed again for a little while there was silence between the two women the carriage had just passed out of st james's park and was rolling along buckingham palace road on its way towards chelsea each was busy with thoughts which were sad thoughts and which the brief conversation had called up and made very vivid they did not speak again until the carriage had driven past sir hans sloane's physics garden and had stopped at lady scardale's door the physic garden in chelsea is a curious patch of old-fashioned memory-haunted ground wedged in by the most modern devices of red brick and painted window chelsea has of late completely metamorphosed itself into a queen anneism which is much more pronouncedly queen anneish than anything that was ever known in the days of queen anne herself along the embankment and up and down the streets that run off it the red brick houses cover all space and publish themselves as old-fashioned with an audacity which only draws the more attention to their astonishing and even brazen newness the physic garden stands a sort of grave and dignified protest against all this innovation its trees its shrubs its grasses have a look of antiquity and proud decay there is one tree a lebanon cedar which can be seen from almost any point in the region like the famous tree that everybody looks at from the pincian hill in rome from some back slum that seems as barren of interest and bare of poetic association as a genteel street in pimlico one can catch a glimpse of this tree just above the vulgar commonplace roofs and chimney-pots around and the sight lifts one in a moment into a realm of beauty and imagination and memory and brings thoughts and fancies of far-off lands and eastern skies and arabian nights and sacred waters so this tree often impressed itself upon the mind of fidelia locke she never saw the tree's broad crest uplifted in the distance but she was borne away out of the commonplace surroundings of the spot and went out and sailed away in a day-dream across the sea towards the golden sunset and was happy indeed she ought not to have been much in quest of happiness as mortals go for she lived a useful life that was entirely to her taste and she had a most generous friend and patroness a patroness who never patronized either fidelia or any one else and she had as yet no serious love troubles 
men had indeed made love to her and professed to be in love with her but her heart was whole and free life was all opening freshly on her the shadows all fell before her not far from this famous physic garden inward from the physic garden there is another garden enclosed in walls and of which the careless passer-by never suspects the existence it was a merry place in days of yore no doubt to quote the language of wordsworth it was the residence of some great personage of chelsea and it had upon its grounds a stately mansion-house the mansion-house and grounds have passed through all sorts of changes since the ancient seigneurial family dropped into decay and finally disappeared it was a collegiate school for boys it was an art exhibition it was a medical establishment for the care of self-surrendered inebriates all these institutions failed in their turn and at last it was about to be cut up into lots for building ground and would no doubt before long have been covered with other red-brick houses ever so much more queen anneish than queen anne's own reign had looked upon when it was suddenly brought up by the rich and philanthropic countess of scardale and turned into an entirely new-fashioned not to say new-fangled encampment for the development of self-reliance and other masculine virtues in woman the countess of scardale was not a widow the earl of scardale was alive and well as far as physical health was concerned when lady scardale was miss eastrop only daughter of the rich banker and philanthropist sir james eastrop she fell in love with the young earl of scardale a man who was spending the last of his family property that could be spent on gambling and the turf of the stage and various other amusements miss eastrop fell in love with him and he professed to fall in love with her she had an impassioned love for converting souls to goodness and lord scardale offered himself and his soul for conversion miss eastrop accepted the trust her father protested in vain and told the girl he had never in all his experience known an authentic case of a profligate man converted by a rich marriage his daughter smiled her sweet and confident smile he loves me was her argument he will do anything for me her father was wise enough not to argue too long and the marriage took place and he died soon after leaving his daughter immensely rich he died not too soon for he did not live to see his sad forebodings come true lord scardale got all the money he could out of his wife indulged in all his old and evil tastes and finally left her and went off to nobody well knew where with another woman lady scardale lavished a great deal of her affection on a younger brother of her husband's who was only a boy when they married he lived in their house for years and he stood by her when her husband left her but wilderness had run in the scardale family for generations 
one of that blood could no more save himself from the consequences of being a scardale than he could keep himself from the trials of humanity being a man scardale's younger brother became wild too well nigh wore out even the sweet patience of his sister-in-law and finally went off to some dim and distant country declaring that he would make his fortune for himself or would never return to civilized life lady scardale had heard nothing of him of her husband for many years she was now a tall handsome and stately woman of forty-five she never went into society she spent her life her widowed life her worse than widowed life in trying to do good her chief efforts to do good were naturally among women her great wish was to train up girls not indeed to remain single but to be able to live without making marriage a profession a trade so that if they did marry they should marry for some reason and not out of sheer necessity it might have been thought that she herself had married for a reason and not out of sheer necessity and that nevertheless her marriage had not prospered but she felt all the same that up to the time of her own experience in marriage she had always understood that there was nothing for a girl to do but to marry she had always known that she must marry somebody and she had with this previous assumption to guide her cause allowed herself to fall in love with lord scardale so that even her own case she looked on as contributing only another illustration to the great argument that women ought to be trained to encounter life without any actual necessity for having recourse to marriage had she been thus trained her life she thought might have been more happy lady scardale bought the old domain near the physic garden and started a sort of technical school for girls which was also to be what may be called a culture school of life it was called the chelsea culture college and it meant a great deal by the word culture girls were to be put in the way of learning every art and craft by which a woman could make a living and they were also to be taught how to live lady scardale did not believe in the teaching of women exclusively by women she thought it must be at the best somewhat narrow and enfeebling so she had professors of all manner of arts and sciences teachers of fencing and gymnastics the girls learned to cook to make and mend clothes to drive and ride and even to groom a horse they took the household work in turns and they kept no servants an untrained girl went at first into the class of attendance and while she was learning letters and science she had to learn how to carry a message and how to wait at table the girls thus gradually worked their way up there were no servants or there were none but servants it might be put either way every girl had learned how to be a servant the institution was conducted on the principle of practical equality there were numbers of young women there 
who had originally belonged to the maid-of-all-work class and who now held good positions in the institution and were fit to go out into the world as ladies if there was any way of making a living in life as a lady there were some married women in the institution with whom through no fault of theirs marriage had proved a most decided failure the principle of payment was simple each resident or her parents paid what they could lady scardale arranged for the admission of each and would take no one at any price who did not appear likely to improve herself and the institution by abiding for a time in it she had several girls there who paid nothing for whom she paid whom she had rescued from miserable homes and drunken parents but lady scardale never told their story to any of the other girls she had herself thought at one time of dropping her own title and calling herself sister scardale or mrs scardale or miss eastrop or something of the kind but she came to the conclusion that it would seem like mere affectation or eccentricity and she detested affectation and eccentricity besides she had been far too much a woman of the world not to know quite well that an effect in strengthening the public influence of an institution like hers would be obtained from the fact that its president was a countess lady scardale was the president of the institution the vice-president was miss fidelia locke lady scardale had appointed miss fidelia locke to the proud position of vice-president because she found her sympathetic and capable and because she was touched by her story fidelia locke was not exactly an orphan but she was practically alone in the world when chance threw her in the way of the benevolent woman who though not exactly a widow was practically alone in the world also each day that they passed in work together brought them more and more into companionship fidelia was a girl of twenty-two or three with a handsome melancholy face she had deep eyes that sometimes flashed up with sudden light suggesting a suppressed strength of emotion and passion and a mouth that quivered to every ripple of feeling one might have set her down for a girl who would in ordinary conditions have had a self-willed and masterful temperament enough had it not been early checked and made patient by trouble fidelia went to lady scardale's room for a little talk as she always did when they came home from any festivity together i am glad to talk to you fidelia lady scardale said you were not looking well to-day not quite like yourself i thought you ought to have a holiday child would you not like to go anywhere oh no dear lady scardale i am quite well i should not like to go anywhere at least anywhere away from you lady scardale smiled that is very sweet of you she said but all the same i don't think so much of london quite agrees with you this is a sort of hermitage it is all very well for the old who have lived their lives like me it has nothing to do with that fidelia said simply 
but just now i am very unhappy i know dear child lady scardale said gently soothing the girl by a caressing touch on her cheek as if she were really only a little child whom the touch of a loving hand could encourage and strengthen i thought when i first came here fidelia said that i could charm away all my own troubles by trying to relieve some of the troubles of other people but i am not good enough for that lady scardale i am not unselfish enough my own troubles get in my way and fill up my heart i once said lady scardale gravely knew a very pious and believing man who knelt to pray at a shrine in a foreign country as he was kneeling a minute particle of dust got into his eye and tormented him and he told me he could not pray every high thought was driven out of him by that grain of dust in his eye the troubles of the world are a good deal like that to all of us fidelia i wish my only trouble were a grain of dust in my eye fidelia said sadly she did not say it impatiently for she did not fancy for a moment that her friend and patroness was making light of her troubles she knew lady scardale's way it would be a pity if anything were to spoil your bright eyes fidelia i would rather see them spoiled for the moment by dust than by tears we could get the dust out i dare say easily enough but not the tears i have seldom seen tears in your eyes but when they get there they are apt to stay there or to come again and again i am afraid i am sure my father is dead fidelia said i have dreamt of him night after night lately and always dreamt of him as dead oh how shall i ever live without him you were very fond of your father fidelia oh yes lady scardale i was all devoted to him and he was so fond of me he went away for nothing but to make money for me he never would have cared to go exploring about the world but for me he could not bear to see me poor he was always saying so and i didn't care oh i didn't care one straw so long as i had him what did it matter to me if we were poor there are troubles ever so much worse than being poor there are indeed fidelia i have never known what it was to want for money and i have not been happy and everything has gone wrong with me no you have not been happy dear lady scardale you have not indeed fidelia said with emotion clasping her companion's hand i am ashamed to talk of my troubles when i think of yours but you can do so much good you are always doing so much good your whole life is all goodness tell me about your father fidelia have you any reason to fear that he is dead only my dreams oh yes and the fact that i have not heard from him so long you know people used to say he was more like my lover than my father why lady scardale if i only put a fresh bunch of flowers in my dress he would study me as if i were a picture 
oh he so spoiled me i was not fit for the world he loved me so and i loved him so and we spoiled each other he never told me he was going away he knew i would not let him i would have clung to him i would have hung on his neck he never should have gone or at least he should have taken his daughter with him then he wrote to me from australia and then from the cape and he told me he was going to the diamond mines he wrote regularly and said he was not going to allow me to sink into poverty and then he was so glad when you were good to me and lately he told me he hoped soon to make his fortune and to come home rich for me always for me and since then i have not heard any more and i know he is dead oh yes he is dead it is likely enough lady scardale thought but she would not communicate that thought to her young friend there are far worse calamities than death lady scardale thought but that thought too she would not communicate to her young friend ah yes she was thinking there are worse troubles too than the death even of some one we dearly love there may be the moral decay the moral death the gradual extinction of the better spiritual nature the protracted life that is only a living death but this thought too she forbore to communicate to her young friend in truth all that lady scardale had heard about captain locke from various sources had not quite supplied her with such a pleasing picture of him as his daughter's loving hand would have painted she had heard from every one that he was very fond of fidelia in an idolatrous and absorbing sort of way but she had heard too that he was a heedless good-for-nothing creature pursuing his own whims and follies recklessly hot-tempered jealous eager to quarrel capable of anything rather than patience wherefore she regarded it as not at all impossible that such a life might have come to a sudden and tragic end in such a place as the mining region of the felt you must not keep looking out for the worst my dear child lady scardale said gently but without too much encouragement in her voice come what will fidelia you know you have always a home and a friend oh yes i know it well fidelia exclaimed but do you know no you could not think how wicked and ungrateful i am to you and to heaven and to every one i sometimes wish i had not a home when i think that he may be lying homeless unburied under the southern stars my dear lady scardale softly interposed it is no use lady scardale reasoning with me or trying to bring me to what is wise and right and submissive i know already it is right and wise i know i ought to be submissive only i can't submit i can only think that if he is dead he died for me End of chapter seven